Welcome to PodPod, the podcast all about podcasting for podcasters. My name is Rihanna Dillon and I'm joined this week by Matt Hill and Reem Makari. Hi both. Hello. Hi, nice to see you, Rihanna. Hello. Reem, what is going on this week in the world of podcasting? I sort of feel like it's a very busy week for everyone who has ever been involved with making a podcast. (laughs) Well, yes, it's the podcast show this week. By the time this goes out, it will be start of podcast show because it starts from Tuesday evening and then it's Wednesday and Thursday full days. So I'm currently praying for my future self who's going to be at the podcast show running around stressed <laughs> out, talking to multiple people at once and I just want to tell her to drink water uh, <laughs> like she'll be fine but yeah it's, it's, it's a very hectic week but it's a very very interesting week because it's all these amazing industry people, creators, producers everyone who works in podcasting from every different aspect of podcasting just kind of coming together and and sharing knowledge and information so it's just a really big highlight of the year for podcasters so very very exciting although hectic <laughs> so what is a day in the life of Reem at the podcast show gonna look like <laughs> what are you actually doing We have a lot of sessions going on for the podcast show. So I'm doing one of those sessions, going to be me on stage talking to people, which will be interesting and very exciting. Very exciting. And then we have our own pop pod recording Mm -hmm. from the podcast show, which is going to be very exciting. And I think it's one of the first episodes that we're going to do as just us. So I'm really, really looking forward to it, catching up and talking about what we've kind of learned so far about podcasting and what our experience has been with PopPod. So it's going to be really cool. And I'm just excited to meet people. So many different people that I've emailed or I've written about before, like Podimo, and just see them in person and say hello. Sometimes it feels like because I'm writing so much, it doesn't feel like they're real people, even though I know they're real people. (laughs) (laughs) And Matt, what is going on with you? Oh, what isn't going on? Obviously, it's the podcast show this week, yeah. so we'll all be decamping to Islington for the event. Uh, and also, there with another hat on for me because we formed a new company called Podcast Discovery. <gasps> oh, congratulations! Which is a, a marketing company, and we are marketing several shows that are on uh, at Podcast Show, including the number one hit in this country, Pod Save the UK, <gasps> which launched, as you know, a couple of weeks ago to great acclaim and lots of stellar reviews. So we're really chuffed about that, and the audience is keep coming and we'll be there to cheer Nish on as he does a 10 minute stand-up set about RSS feeds. <laughs> you should definitely check it out. It's great. <laughs> I was just about to say, oh brilliant, that means you can introduce me to Nish Kumar, but actually I've been on TV with him, so I've been there, done that. Yeah, fine, fine. fine. Introduce me, please. <laughs> <laughs> So this week, we're talking to Jake Chodno. He's the Podomo Global Content and Partnerships Lead. So he's kind of responsible for global content and partnerships that can scale across multiple markets. And just to kind of let the audience know, you've also worked with Jake from Podomo, who we're about to speak to. Yes, we are working with Podomo on shows, but this was arranged separately and I just happened to be on this week for the interview. But it does mean I have a lot of insider knowledge, which I will try and get Jake to say on air in a public domain. So just watch out for my Machiavellian pod pod reporter stylings. (laughs) I will do. 
And we're talking to him about translating podcasts. And this was something that he reached out to us to talk about. So it's like a kind of really hot button subject. Not many podcast companies are doing it. So it feels like a really pertinent time to speak to Podimo about all of the work that they're doing. So let's have a listen to our interview with Jake. Welcome to PodPod. How are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. It's my uh, humble pleasure to be a guest on the Pod Pod Pod. <laughs> Thank you. Do we call it that? Pod Pod Pod. What the Pod Pod Pod? The Pod Pod Pod. Well, we should. We should. We should absolutely do that. You see, Jake, just like thirty seconds in your presence has already made us completely revamp our own You've show. Inspired change. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> There is a lot of plosive P's, though, in that. You always have to like back off the mic a little bit. Oh, as you're yeah, yeah. So tell us about Podimo and the work that you're doing. Yeah, so Podimo is an app for listening to podcasts and audiobooks, very simply. We do act as a podcatcher in the sense that we've got the millions of podcasts distributed on the RSS on our app and with some really nice features like smart discovery and video. But the core of the service is the offering of just under... 1,000 exclusive shows that are available to paying subscribers. And my role at Podimo is the global head of studios, which works across all of our seven markets to help power that exclusive offering, including the new markets where we're producing shows but haven't launched our app yet, like in the UK where I'm based. We want to talk about translating podcasts. So was that always a major aim with Podimo? Was that always the case or did it start out as a different beast? Hyper-local focus has always been a focus of, of Podimo, but specifically translation hasn't. It happened, you know, with some strategy, but also a little by accident. But I, I think if you look at across entertainment media, translation is standard. TV, film, print, I would suggest probably underexplored in podcasts. The other thing we looked at was that around 90 to 96% of our listeners, depending on the market, are listening to shows in their own native tongue. Um, so even if the listeners in Denmark where the ability to speak English is high, there's a clear preference for listening in local language. So that presented us a clear opportunity to translate some of our shows, not all of them. Not all shows are translatable, but with over 100 translated productions in the in between the last two and three years, I think Podimo is a, a global leader in podcast translation. Can you talk a bit about that then, about the podcasts that aren't translatable and why that is? Is it kind of about genre or is there another reason? Less genre and more format. So I, I think that the formats that rely specifically on hearing a presenter or a guest's personality shine through in an interview format, for example, would be less easily mm-hmm. translatable. Whereas a format like one of our own, for example, Murder in the North, which is a, a true crime podcast, it's anthological, recurring over a large number of episodes, but the format is a single narrator reading a near full script. So we can translate the words one-to-one across a number of languages. Full disclosure to the PodPod audience, I've been working with Jake on Murder in the North in a sort of marketing role as part of a company called Podcast Discovery. And as such, know the show intimately. I go to bed with it. (laughs) It's true. Well, it's a very good nighttime (laughs) listen. Rihanna, don't look at me like that. Well, I just think going to bed listening to murderous stories. But it's the single voice 
the structure of it, it works perfectly for like nighttime listening. It's great. And so it's been really interesting seeing that pick up in the UK markets because when it was originally kind of put to me that the show was launching, I think, Jake, what was the kind of angle you went for for a UK audience? The angle we went for wasn't specifically different in the UK as to our other markets with Murder in the North, with the obvious exception of the language. So the, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons why Murder in the North has worked well in all of our markets, including the UK. But in the UK, I think there is a historic interest in Nordic noir style storytelling, and Murder in the North does that really well. And true crime in general is a popular genre in the UK as it is in a lot of markets. Yeah. And it has been a big success in this country, I would say. It has tapped into existing true crime shows and done really well and seen itself rise up the charts in the true crime in Apple and Spotify. I mean, do you feel like that was a nailed on bet based on your work in other countries or was there a bit of nervousness about entering the UK market? We approach every new venture with caution, but with translated shows, you know, if a show works in one market, we can translate it with a greater degree of confidence than if we are creating an entirely new show in a new market. And if a show works in three, four, five, six markets, then we can be exponentially more confident it'll work in a, in a seventh or eighth. And that was the case with Murder in the North. English was the eighth language that the show was translated to. It's had millions and millions and millions of listens across our markets, some off Podimo, some on Podimo, a lot on Podimo. Um, it's charted really well. Uh, it's been number one in three or four markets on the top charts overall on Apple and Spotify. And it usually is in the top five, if not number one in true crime in all of those markets. And what do you think in terms of like the production values of the show? Because of course, you'd already spent the money on the research for the stories. And obviously, you had to translate those stories into English. But uh, in terms of like where you spent the money in the, in the production for the UK version, where did you think it was important to still invest in this tried and tested format? Yes, yeah, so like you mentioned, the, the script's done, the sound design is done. I think it's really important that we kept the original sound design, which is you know very scandy in nature. Where we spent the most in terms of you know money, but also time, is that I think you know, I think with the key the translation is that you're not just translating text of a script; you're translating the original creative vision and emotional impact of a story. The initial process of translation, it's not cheap, but I think where we ended up spending the most time is ensuring that the original creative intent of the words was translated as well. Do you use software? Do you use people? How do you translate that? I am really interested in how technology like AI, for example, will shape the translation industry in the future. But we are a very people-focused operation, partially for some of the reasons I just mentioned. You know, I think if there was a step that we could use software, it would be in that initial translation. But even with that, we've used real people in all of our translations. And do you think that anything is lost in that translation, even if you're trying to do everything as accurately as possible? If you have somebody listening who knows both languages, do they find that something is missing from one over the other? I'd like to think that we as a company are getting to a point where I can confidently answer no to that question. It's taken us a while to get there, and we've learned a lot in the process about the types of formats that are more easily translatable or less easily translatable. One of our translation partnerships a few years ago was with Wondery, and we translated a number of their shows 
It was the dating game killer that we translated into Spanish. And the approach that we took there was to hire a cast of voice actors to try and match the original intonation and emotion of all of the interviews. And I think what happened was it sounded like a bunch of voice actors trying to match intonation and, 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 uh, and emotion. <laughs> Part of the, the way that we're aiming to answer no to that question is, you know, picking the right format from early doors to translate. So really simply, the more scripted a narrative of the show, the more easily it is to translate. And I think you know, probably the right balance would be somewhere around 70% plus scripted narrative. Um, we have a show called The Missing that we made with What's the Story Sounds and Pandora Sykes. And that show is a show that was built to obviously be for a UK audience, but also to be translated. And that's another one we've translated to a number of languages and, and every episode. About 70% of the episode is narrated by Pandora and 30% is from contributors, which include family and friends of the missing subjects. Murder in the North is an anthology show. So how many did you order in that first run of uh, UK episodes? And how many was it? did you have to set out before you knew it was going to be a success? Yeah, so I'm not sure the exact number answer to that question. But what I will say is that we, you know, that show was originally created in Danish for an audience in Denmark, which is where our app was born. Having identified the success of that show and the ability to translate it because of the format, we first translated it into German. And the show was even more successful in German than it was in Danish. And that, that was one of the original kind of aha moments. Clearly, there's an interest in a Scandi style of storytelling in true crime that hasn't been done yet in Germany, at least. And with, with the success of that, we translated into Spanish, Norwegian, Dutch, uh, Finnish, yeah, and, and, and more. So the success of the translated episodes is one of the reasons why we're continuing the show in its original language as well. And you have recently begun moves to dominate Mexico as a um, territory. Has Murder in the North launched there? What have you taken from that, from launching uh, in several countries that, you've, that you're taking into the Mexican market? Yeah, so uh, Murder in the North is there in the sense that there was a pre-existing Spanish version, but that was continental Spanish, and we haven't yet made a, a Latin Spanish version of the show. As we eye the growth in Mexico, that will definitely be an opportunity and not a strategic choice not to translate. I think we do see an opportunity in translating Latin Spanish in addition to Castilian Spanish. If you're translating to other languages, do you always go from the original? Do you always go from the Danish or might you do it from the English version or how does it work? We don't actually always. We, we do often, but we don't always. And you know, the, a, a few examples of that would be when we translate a show from Danish to German and our German editors really kind of open up the show and do that job of, again, not just translating the words, but translating the original creative intent. And that could be you know, choosing to leave out some interviews and instead summarize them in script form instead. And so once that work is done in a, in a second language, we would look to use that language to translate into a third, fourth or fifth. With the sort of intonation, say, of the narrators who are reading these scripts, is it always the same? Or would you say that each country is influenced by the culture in the way that it's read or the emotion behind it? 
Yes. And also, the you know, it depends on what the vertical of the show is. You'd, you'd read a, a true crime narrative differently than a history narrative. It's interesting. I, I actually don't feel like we as a company have learned the right answer to that question in the sense that we typically see what's worked already and, and tried to, you know, try to mirror that as best as we can. And again, you know, let's, let's try and honor the original creative intent of that podcast. It was written by, written and originally voiced by a man. You know, should we have that be voiced by a man in a, in a new language as well and vice versa? So yeah, I, I, I think we, what we have done is placed local voices who are already popular amongst a certain audience on our shows and that can do a good job at helping to localize the show so for example we um had a partnership with disney where ahead of the release of the dramatic adaptation of the dropout podcast across scandinavia we we uh, translated the podcast to um danish and norwegian and in both Denmark and Norway, we had two experts who were an expert in the similar field and journalists who have reported on similar topics voice those episodes in those languages. And they were able to you know, create an episode zero and provide their own context as well. So yeah, there is an opportunity if you find the right voice to do that. What I found with the marketing of Murder of the North was that it was a relatively straight sell for an existing true crime audience in this country. So you could sell them more true crime every week, but from a different country, right? And so, you know, in terms of trails, where to promote them to, it was, if you like this sort of thing, you're going to love this show. Does this work in other genres too, or is it harder, easier? What do you think? We've seen our greatest success in true crime, partially because we've been successful in true crime, we continue translating true crime. I'd like to expand beyond that. And we have, you know, we've, we've expanded a bit into the knowledge space. We have a, a show called, the English translation would be close to understand in 10 minutes. It's a 10 minute show. Each episode is a different topic. Yeah, that's, that's translated with relative success across a number of our markets. And then, like I mentioned before, I think other genres that, where there would be that potential would be history, for example. I think once you're edging into territory where personality becomes a really important part of the message, like comedy, for example, that's where we haven't tried translating as much. Is that where adaptations might come in? Is that something that you're interested in doing where it's like, okay, it's not a direct translation, but you know, you can literally take the format into another country? Yeah, so I guess it's important to differentiate that I've been speaking specifically to translation so far, and adaptation is is you know similar but different beast. Mm -hmm. It is something that we do. So within Global Studios, we have created and seeded a number of formats that the teams have then produced in their markets with different talents, sometimes different topics. Um, the first one we tried was actually with a, a show that was originally created in the UK called You Don't Know Me, Chloe Combi made by um, Sharon Horgan's Mermaid. And it explored what it is to be a teenager in 2020, I think that was. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, how different that it was that being a teenager when a lot of us grew up, our listeners grew up. And we created that show in Spanish with a different host and an entirely different you know, panel of teenagers. And, and they shared similar themes per episode as we did in the UK, but obviously, you know, really, really different narratives and different stories. Was that more successful in one region than another? Or, you know, do you compare the regions and the countries or do you just kind of consider them as completely separate podcasts? We do, yeah. And keep in mind, most of the shows 
that we publish are published on our own service. And so in each of our markets, our audiences come from similar, but sometimes slightly different places. If there is an entertainment personality that is really, really popular in Spain and has brought a lot of our subscribers in, but there's not a lot of crossover with true crime, it could be probably the easy thing to extrapolate was, well, you know, true crime doesn't work that well in Spain. Um, but, I, but I think actually it's, you know, it's more of an artifact of the audience that we've built in all of our markets, which again is similar in terms of age and gender, but sometimes comes for different interests. And I guess there must be a lot of production companies listening to this thinking, well, this is great. I'm actually thinking about moving into another country with the show that I have. Is that something that Podomo does? Will it take up shows on behalf of other production companies and, and franchise them into other areas? Yeah. Yeah, we've done that quite a bit. You know, I mentioned a partnership that we have with Wondering Disney already, but we, we've done that with a number of independent creators as well. Podcast called Swindled, another one called Unresolved, both from the States, and yeah, a number more. So I, I think definitely an opportunity for creators with us and also an opportunity for creators with, with or without us. Um, so to to go to a commissioner in another market and say, look, I've got a podcast that has seen great success in my market. It's the format that's translatable. And, you know, you, you could potentially go the extra mile and say, and I've also packaged it with a very famous narrator who, you know, narrates another popular podcast in your market or is a TV personality. I think that's a really strong sell to a commissioner in a new market. You have a greater degree of confidence that that show will work given its success in you know one or two other markets and less risk than creating something entirely new. And do you have any benchmarks for Podomo personally about what kind of work you're willing to entertain? Like, Are there a minimum number of downloads or is there a kind of a maximum complexity to a production that would, would translate well or you'd entertain for a, a show in another country? Yeah, I'm not sure how much I want to open the hood on the Podimo engine. But what I will say is we, again, we have taken a very human approach to the way we select shows. And I think that's important because listens is only one part of the story. It can be a really important part of the story. But every month we have a forum with the heads of content from all of our markets where my studio's team brings some ideas and opportunities to that group. And it's almost Euro style in nature where they're giving it number of votes and we get to discuss it. And there has been, you know, Probably a few stories in the past where we thought it would work really well, but another market would say either, oh, no, there's already a really similar show in this market, or that is potentially culturally insensitive in this market, and we, we haven't decided to, to choose it for that reason. So that selection process, I think, is probably more valuable to our process than listens alone. However, translation is a pretty... Uh, in-depth process, we kind of you got into a bit of it, but there, there's the cost of it, but also the the human aspect of making sure that you're translating properly. What a previous listen number does is give us the confidence that we're you know investing in the right places. You mentioned earlier that I think the UK was the eighth country for you to translate. Was it Murder in the North into? Yeah. So, how long was that? expansion into the UK planned for and, and why was the UK quite far down the list of countries to expand into? You know, what what was your reasoning behind the immediacy or the hierarchy of who was going to get the translations earlier? Well, the UK hasn't launched yet uh, in the sense that like our, our app is not available in the UK yet. So that's the, the really short answer. <laughs> we see an opportunity to launch our app in the UK and, uh, and in exploring that opportunity, 
will release about 12 shows by July, and Murder in the North is, is one of them. That marks a bit of a different approach than we've taken in other markets where our app and original content come at the same time. In the UK, we're releasing a lot of shows before our app is available. But actually, we did that with Murder in the North. In some of our other markets, we released it before we released Podimo, like, for example, in the Netherlands and in Finland, as part of dipping our toes in the Dutch and Finnish waters and seeing how our shows do, and then also building an audience for when we do launch that would become our subscribers. So Murder in the North is translated in the order that we've launched markets in, which is the short of it. How much harder is it to launch a show in the UK? You probably have more experience as a company of, of understanding this than most others because they're usually quite domestic publishers. But you guys really have got an overview of the whole of Europe. And we've always seen the UK as being quite competitive and particularly with, you know, sort of a, a big established broadcast like the BBC providing such a high quality turnover of content. It's always felt like quite an uphill battle for an independent sector. But how do you see it? It's probably important to start with saying that I think there's a great opportunity in the UK in terms of the quality of creation in the in the country and our potential partners to make great work. In terms of the number of listeners, both by pure number compared to the size of other European markets, but also by percent of the population. And there's a, a really rich history of creating audio in the country. We've been creating podcasts and releasing podcasts in the UK, you know, in a really small way from about um, three years ago and in a much bigger way now. And I think, you know, in that time, it's changed dramatically. It feels like the market is, well, there's just a lot of great works to be listened to. And, and, and that, that makes it, you know, a lot more crowded in terms of who's finding an audience, who's being promoted on platforms. Um, and also for a listener to choose, you know, they, there's only so much listening time in a day and how they're choosing the, the one that they, they, they want to continue listening to week after week. And I think that's true um, when we look at the UK compared to the rest of Europe as well. There are other really big markets in Europe, like Germany, for example, is a market that we're in, which is a, a larger population than the UK. And again, a really, really mature podcast market in terms of the number of creators and the investment from advertisers, et cetera. But when we look at smaller markets, you have to keep in mind that Podimo is its own platform and it's a, a subscription service. So when we are live in those markets, we have a direct relationship to that audience. And in the markets where we are live, especially the ones who've been around for, you know, for a while, like in Denmark, increasingly, a lot of the top podcasters in those markets are exclusively on Podimo now. So... When we get to a degree of maturity in that sense, especially in a market that's a, a bit smaller than the UK, we are leaders and you know, competition is a different picture. We're entering a new market, especially one like the UK. Yeah, it's, it's really competitive. It's a really crowded market. There's a lot of platforms that are bidding on the same talent uh, and a lot of competition for you know, listeners' ears as well. I remember the launch of Luminary a few years ago, which ruffled a lot of feathers both in the UK and the US, which is a very loud, brash launch. And it pulled a lot of podcasts that were free to listen to behind a paywall very suddenly. Your approach feels a lot more softly, softly. It's you're still no app at the moment, everything's going free to RSS feeds. What's your thinking there? And did that experience help shape the way in which you built this strategy? 
the launch of Podimo in our other markets probably shaped it a bit more than looking at what Luminary did. And I, th- you know, I think we've learned a lot in the last three years. And that's part of the reason why, and I think you're referencing the UK specifically um, in terms of the, the softness and you know, the not moving a bunch of podcasts to Podimo all at once. And the you know, decision to not not do that in the UK. We have done that in other markets, but like like you said, it is a bit softer. And I think the aim is to make Podimo a place that you want to be, not a place that you kind of begrudgingly have to be if you want to continue to listen to your shows. Of course, we're gonna have some of that behavior. And you know, we mitigate it with free trials, and then then it becomes our job that if you're coming into Podimo to try it out because your favorite creator moved to Podimo that you'll see lots and lots of other shows that are also interesting to you and be surprised and delighted and choose to stick around. You've kind of worked with so many different partners already, like Mags Creative and Tortoise, I mean, loads and loads. So why was it important for Podimo to partner with a range rather than kind of creating content just for one production company? Yeah, so when we eventually do launch our app in the UK, it would be an app that should celebrate creators and production companies and you know highlight all different types of voices and producers. Um, so it felt really important of us in the way that we message these shows that these are shows from Podimo and Partner, uh, not, not just from Podimo mm-hmm. as a way to celebrate the, the industry and the quality of production in the UK. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's the short answer. And I think we are really, really proud to have worked with so many talented producers in the UK and to have them embrace our narrative as well. Well, go on then. You've got to run us through some of the, uh, the, the 12 launches that you've had. I mean, it would be churlish not to, but at the end, I want you to tell me which is your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've had... Um, I'm looking forward to this, by the way. Uh, what, the, the favorite one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. In the process of describing all the shows, I'm going to um, I'm going to figure out how to not answer that question. But yeah, so <laughs> we've got a lot of shows that one of our shows is with uh, you mentioned Mags. So the show that we're making with Mags is called "It Can't Just Be Me." Um, it's a, a call-in life advice show hosted by Anna Richardson, and it's had some really exciting guests, and then most importantly, interesting and relatable dilemmas from the audience who's calling in and having their dilemma addressed and discussed. That show has done really, really well. I think it's, it's, it's created a community of people who feel like their issues are being listened to. Totally different. We've got a, a show called The List of Absolutely Everything That Might Kill You with Matt Edmonds and Adam Kay, who explore the world's most extreme and mundane objects in a semi-competitive format where they are guessing or pitching which of two objects is more deadly on the scale of micromorts, which is an actual scale. I'm looking up on Wikipedia. According to that scale, it is 10 times more deadly for a 90-year-old man to get out of bed in the morning than a 20-year-old man to spend a day in the British military. Wow. <laughs> and I, 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 as I understand it, Matt Edmondson is um, it was pretty much a hypochondriac. And of course, Adam Kay is a former doctor. So it is kind of quite an interesting dynamic to, to learn those facts in, I think. Yeah. And really fun and funny as well and entertaining. And we are working with psychologist and author Richard Wiseman on a show called Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind, where he and co-host Marnie Chesterton, who's also co-hosted a lot of BBC science shows, attempt to answer lots of questions, a thousand questions about the mind relating to laughter, sleep, luck, 
ghosts um, and a propensity to believe in them. And it's a really fun format. Again, there is there is an aspect of of Colin in that show as well, but mostly it's uh, it's coming from Richard's mind. And yeah, we've got we've got actually a few exciting shows um, coming out that we haven't announced yet that I'm really excited for. One is the first ever audio adaptation of a very long running British TV franchise, and I would just leave it at that. Only fools and horses. <laughs> That's very British. <laughs> when I was looking on Apple Podcasts for Podimo shows, and then it comes up with Who Robs a Banksy? It Can't Just Be Me, Cold Blood, Nordic True Crime, and The Darkness Vaults. But it's only those four. But on Spotify, you can find all of them. So tell us about that. Is that deliberate? Why is that? Um, if somebody from Apple is listening, please could you help? Uh, no, that's not deliberate. All of our UK shows are on all platforms globally. Um, one nuance that I could add is that we, in partnership with Apple, are releasing a number of uh, the episodes of those shows early and ad-free to listeners who choose to subscribe to Podimo UK. And is that something you've done in other countries or is that something that's unique to the UK since subscriptions launched? It is actually. Yeah, we have that relationship with Apple across all of our markets and almost all of our shows that exist on Podimo also exist on Apple um, for paying subscribers. How does that work in terms of the money? Like, does Apple take a bigger cut than the maintaining of the app or does it shake out like at the same price? no matter where people choose to subscribe from, which is your better, better, bigger cash cow? It's much better for us if we can have a direct relationship to a listener um, that are in our environment. And there's a lot of features that we, we think listeners love and that we can you know, use to engage listeners on a deeper level than if we're publishing shows off of Podimo. But in the decision to publish our shows on Apple for subscription, it was important for us to say, you know, you can listen to our shows everywhere. We just we we believe we have a payworthy offering, and if we can find partners who share that vision, then we should be publishing on their platforms as well. There will be people listening to this who might like not have considered translating their podcast or aren't sure about the pros and cons. So, what do you think podcast companies are missing out on by not translating their podcasts? Yeah, so probably an important thing to to start with is um, that again, not all podcasts by nature are translatable. Um, but if a production company does have a podcast that, again, is is a format where scripting is kind of a, a core aspect to it and interview may be secondary, then they are likely missing an opportunity to engage listeners who don't speak that language as a first language in the language that they would prefer to listen to that show in. English tends to be much more understood across a, a much larger number of countries. But even so, like I said, on Podimo, we see 90 plus percent of all listens happening in that listener's native tongue, even if they, we can guess that they can speak English. But especially if that creator is from a market that maybe has a much smaller population of people who speak that language, there's a, a great opportunity for them to find a larger audience outside of their country. Um, we, we've done that. We've translated a, a podcast that was originally born in Finland and have been able to create a greater audience and revenue stream for that podcaster through translating even in just a few more markets on Podimo than she was able to find in Finnish alone. 
What is the next few months for Podimo UK? I know there was a, a bit of a, a switch of um, strategy a couple of months ago that was put out in a press release. What is the latest and, and how, how are you proceeding? Yeah, so in the UK, we are heads down in making the shows that we have launched and will launch um, a great success and finding an audience for those shows and continuing to grow them. What changes is purely the timeline against which we were planning on launching Podimo in the UK. And that is following unfortunate changes in the market that lots and lots of reasons I think that probably most everyone is feeling. So it felt like the right thing to do was think about a later date for the launch of Podimo in the UK. But the the plan in the next few months remains the same in terms of the shows that we're, we've already created and will release in the near future. I mean, I read the other week about Sony Entertainment cutting back on narrative documentary making and department, but not pulling out entirely, just sort of slowing the rate of release and looking at doing more sort of not anthology series, at least putting more than one series on the same feed rather than having lots of different feeds. Obviously, it's a little bit different for you if the build is to an app where everything is and the audience will be behind the paywall. But, you know, it, do you see that across the industry more widely then that like there's a slowdown in the rate of production, the amount of releases this year compared to last year or the year before? Yeah. And I think, I mean, if the industry is still growing, right? Um, it's just the rate of growth is slowing. And I think because the rate of growth is slowing, it's causing companies like Podimo to, you know, to be appropriately cautious in the money that they're spending. When there's less money to be spent, that you know, of course affects the rate of production, especially in the UK, where I would suggest it's had a historically much more of a commissioner-producer relationship in terms of how shows get made than in some other markets where there are a lot more independent creators who are starting their shows as a passion project and will do it whether or not there's money in it. And so, so yeah, I, I would expect a slowdown. But again, I think it's on everyone in the industry to change that, even if there's a decline in the economy, to show the people who have the money, whether it's brands or platforms, if you're a producer, that you're making content and telling stories that are really valuable to them and valuable to spend money on. And I think when it comes to advertising, especially in the UK, advertisers need to be more invested in podcasts than they have been. If we're comparing to the, especially the US, but even some other European markets, there's a lot less being spent on advertisement from on podcasts from brands in the UK than some other markets. And then also, I think there is a need for diversification and revenue streams in podcasting. And the bet that Podimo has, has placed is on subscription being one answer to that. What would, do you think, change that rate of investment in advertising in the UK that we could learn from other countries? Yeah, I mean, the UK is starting at a slight disadvantage because so much of the listening historically has happened on a platform and a network that doesn't have ads, the BBC. So I think that that's probably one reason why podcast advertising adoption has been slower than some other markets. But yeah, I think it could range from proliferation of great works coming from the UK, inside industry marketing and, and evangelization of the value of advertising on podcasts. A market that struggles with ad rates is actually an opportunity for Podimo and, and subscription in general. I think that's where we've seen our greatest success is where there's been less investment from advertisers and from platforms is where there's the greatest need for a subscription. And I think that's actually why the UK is an interesting market 
compared to you know the US. So potting will eventually be everywhere. But I think the UK does have some of those challenges. Did we ever get your favourite launch? Well, I remember, Juliana. <laughs> What's your personal favourite? You no, know, we didn't. You didn't get my favourite launch. You won't get my favourite launch. But the launch that I <laughs> am most excited about recently, because it's our most recent launch, you've named already. It's a limited series, it's, it's, so it's different in format from anything else we've made, in the sense that it's only six episodes long, and it, there's a story from the start to end. But it, it's a story beautifully told by Jake Warren and Message Heard of a Tiger King-esque character, long and, and fun and interesting story short, ends up you know, lifting um, a piece of art off of the street that's made by Banksy. And when that piece of art goes missing from his garden, it raises a lot of questions on, A, who stole it back? Can we get in touch with Banksy to see if it was him? But also, who owns public art? Why has the population generally placed so much value on Banksy's work and then specifically keeping him anonymous, even though a simple Google search will show basically exactly who he is? Wait, what? Hey, <laughs> um, but don't do the Google search. Listen to the show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great show. And I think there's some, you know, some really fun surprises and twists kind of towards the end of the series five and six. So you got you to stick around. That's great. And I'm sure Jake Warren, friend of the show, will be delighted to hear that uh, um, Who Robbed a Banksy is uh, your favourite podcast, if only by its most recent. Hey, I didn't say that. <laughs> I, I love all my children equally. <laughs> um, Jake, thank you so much for talking to us. It's been a real pleasure. I feel like I've learned an awful lot. So thank you. Yeah, it's been my absolute pleasure being on the, the pod, pod, pod. Yes. <laughs> say it, say enough, it will catch on. <laughs> Thanks so much. Brilliant. Thanks, Jake. So we've just heard Jake. What were your highlights? I mean, you must know Podimo kind of pretty inside out by now with your working with them. But was there any kind of surprises of what Jake was saying? Oh, I, I mean, what was fascinating to me about the whole conversation was just how far they've come so quickly. You know, they started mm. three or four years ago. They are in so many different territories now. Uh, they've only just really started to make headway in the UK this year, which is really telling about just how competitive that market is. Mm. But it feels like what they're doing well is definitely their IP shows, which, you know, they they're tried and tested formats in their own, like in previous countries. And then and of course, the role of the dice, as with, with any company working in this country, is creating new hits. Um, but of course, the advantage for Podimo is, you know, if it's a hit in this country, they've got one eye on the international markets, which is more than most people in this country do. So already they're kind of ahead of the game in that respect. And Reem, I know that you've written quite a few articles about Podimo in the past. So what did you really get out of this particular interview? Well, I think, first of all, because I've written about them a couple of times now, because I've had many expansion announcements in the beginning of this year, I think Podimo is one of the those podcast companies that I'm really excited about and I'm really excited for their future mm -hmm. because they not only just are launching in the UK, they've also done it by partnering with many other podcast companies and kind of doing these big collaborations, some of them being multi-podcast collaborations, some of them being one-off collaborations. But it's really nice to see them lifting up the voices of these other podcast companies and Podimo as well, which he also mentioned during the episode. I am very excited for the future of Podimo here. Mm -hmm. And I think just translating podcasts is very interesting because it kind of just seems 
obvious in terms of like why if companies already have a podcast is so successful like why just not expand it and reach a whole global audience yeah and it's so easy to do when you already have that script especially the scripted ones like when you already have that to just change it to a different language and try and get another global audience but it's interesting to see them do it successfully but also him saying that it doesn't work with every podcast and that's something that you have to mm. be careful about because some things don't actually translate well and and it might fail and you also need all of those resources to get it done and if you fail doing that that's going to be a lot worse but yeah i think translating podcasts is really interesting thank you so much and if you want to hear more from jake chudno he's going to be at the podcast show this thursday talking more about translating podcasts on one of the panels so do watch out for that and if you are at the podcast show please come and say hello we would love to speak to you the pod 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 team are <laughs> gonna be very 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 keen to meet new people have a chat about podcasts and where better to do that than at the podcast show thanks so much reem and matt and thank you for listening you can find out so much more on podpod.com as we've just alluded to reem has got plenty of articles in there for you to sink your teeth into and you can follow us on social at podpodofficial thanks again to jake chodno from podimo the podcast is produced by emma corsham for Habe market business media and i'm your host rihanna dillon and i'll see you at the podcast show and also next week Pod, 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 pod.